Okay. So we are today finishing off this letter explaining the enormous significance of specifically learning law, the significance of learning halacha, and how that has an advantage, in a sense, of course, everything's in a sense, over every other part of Torah. So what is this significance that we are going to discuss today? So the Rev explains that specifically in law, the distinctive special quality is that they reveal God's will. They define what is required for us in the performance of the commandment. In order to draw down all these lofty levels of divinity that we've been explaining this entire level, how do I do that? By doing the commandment. How do I know how to do the commandment? Through the Jewish law. Do I have to do it exactly precisely to draw down that godliness? Yes. To draw down the godliness for everything we said in this letter to happen, it's only when you do the commandment exactly as God wants. And the only way we know that is by studying law. In other words, the supernal will is vested in the commandments that are all written in the written Torah. But there, it's very obscure. It's only manifest in the laws in the oral Torah. For example, the Rebbe gives two examples. And the first one he gives at length, the commandment of Tzvillin. Well, in the written Torah, it says, and you shall bind them for a sign in your hands, and they shall be for frontless between your eyes. And that's all it says. So we have basically no clue. How to bind? What to bind? What are frontlets? Where is between your eyes? Where is on your hand? We don't need that. The oral Torah comes and explains you have to bind a box on your hand, four boxes on the head, each box containing these scriptural passages. The box has to be from a certain type of leather, leather and square, and tied by leather straps, which have to be black, and so on and so on. There are so many detailed rules governing the making of tefillin that are not found in the written Torah. You have no clue. They're only found in the oral Torah. What does it mean on your hand? It means on your arm, not on your hand. What does it mean between your eyes? It means the scalp, not the forehead. So without the oral Torah, there's no way I can do God's will and access God's will, access that energy, only through the law. And similarly, every other commandment of Torah, the positive ones, the, prohib- the prohibitions, they're not revealed, they're not known, they're not explicit, except through oral law. And there is another example. The first one was the positive. The tefillin, now we have a prohibition. Do not do work on the Sabbath. Great, I won't. Oh, what's work? Well, in the oral summer, it explains. It doesn't mean what you might think of as work. It means 39 forms of calling work. And that's what he means by do not do work. So, just like we see with tefillin, just like we see with the Sabbath, so too with every other commandment. If it's positive, like tefillin, or prohibition, like the example of the Sabbath, they're all indistinct, they're all obscure, they all need to be revealed through the oral Torah. Which is why the scripture refers to the oral Torah as the teachings of your mother. In other words, metaphorically, just as all the organs of a child are comprised 
very latently in the sperm of the father. But the mother takes the sperm and brings it out into a manifestation, into a child, with all the body parts that are latent in the sperm, but wouldn't be visible there at all as a child. This is the superior measure, because women have an extra bina, an extra understanding, an extra ability to develop a concept, or in this case, a child, to make something latent manifest. Do we make something conceptual that's latent manifest? Do we make the child, that all parts of the child are latent in that sperm, but through the mother, they become manifest? So the same way a woman has that impact, so too in the laws. We have the masculine Torah, if you will, the written Torah, that's the Torah of our father, and we have the oral Torah, that's the Torah of our mother. Because the oral Torah is taking all the commandments that are completely obscure and making them manifest through the oral Torah, through the teachings of our mother, through the law, as versus the written Torah that refers to the admonitions of your father. Why is it called father? Because as we're saying, bina, the quality of understanding, the quality of developing, taking what's latent and making it manifest, that's a woman's ability, that's bina, that's understanding. The father is like Chachma, the seminal wisdom, where things are not manifest. They're all there, but there's a flash. And that's the written Torah, and that's the father's contribution. So in the very beginning of this letter, we quoted a verse. A woman of valor is the crown of her husband. And now we understand it. Because the oral Torah is that woman of valor. Now we understand why she's compared to a woman. Why is she a woman of valor? Like just as a, a woman of valor raises many children, this oral Torah is creating, raising, giving birth to all of the numerous laws. Those are her children. All of the manifestations of the supernal will that are hidden in the written Torah and are brought out to a manifest form in the woman of valor in the oral Torah which enables us to understand something we asked in the beginning of this letter. We had two specific questions that we're now going to answer. One, why is it that only law is referred to as the crown of Torah? And why is the individual who specifically studies law daily a shorter portion of the world to come? Well, now we can understand both of these issues. Why is law called the crown of Torah? Because we understand now the supernal will, which is, of course, the level of crown, the level of Kesser, much beyond the level of seminal wisdom. It's the crown, just as the crown is higher than the head, higher than the brains. The crown of God is higher than the wisdom of God. And the Jewish law is referred to as the crown because they reveal the supernal will. They reveal God's crown. And similarly, Specifically, by studying law, do you have a portion of the world to come? Because as we've explained in this letter, that when you study law, you're investing your soul in the supernal will of God, and these are the garments for the soul in the world to come. These commandments that you do now in this world, by virtue of the law, these are the garments that encase your soul in the world to come. These garments are the embodiment of the supernal will, which is clarified, which is delineated, 
through Jewish law. So specifically by studying Jewish law, one is able to do the commandments properly and thereby have the garments for one's soul in the world to come. So from this letter, as in many places in Hasidic thought, we see the enormous importance specifically in studying Jewish law.